You know, I'm sad to say today that if you look at America and you look at the cries of many firstborn sons who never got to take a breath, just replace pig with bald eagle and you might be able to say the same thing. Jesus troubles people. People are very willing to talk about God in general, but if you want to know where they're at, start mentioning Jesus. What do you do with this man? Amen. What do you do with Jesus? Mention the name of Jesus and everyone gets uncomfortable. There would be no war around the Christmas time if we just simply had Jesus stay in the manger. If he's just a baby, if he's just an inspirational figure, but we insist that he is God, he is king, and we are not. This is an old story, people trying to eliminate Christ out of Christmas. In fact, in the very first ecumenical council of the church, the Council of Nicaea, it's my favorite story about Santa Claus. I don't know if you've heard of this before. It's, it, it, it's, it's great. So Santa Claus, you know, the, the actual in history, St. Nicholas um, of Malta, he was part of the very first ecumenical council of Nicaea. And that very first ecumenical council, it was, it was very important because they were talking about the theology of who God is as a trinity. There's different, there's different perspectives, but we know from the scripture it's very clear that God is three in one person. There was a man there named Arius from Egypt, and he was teaching that Jesus was not equal to God the Father. It's known as the Arius heresy. Arius forcefully argued his position at length. The bishops listened respectfully. As Arius vigorously continued, Nicholas became more and more agitated. Finally, he could no longer bear what he believed was essentially an attack. The outraged Nicholas got up, crossed the room, and slapped Arius across the face. The bishops were so, were shocked. I think it kind of gives a new meaning to a twinkle in his eye. Um, that wasn't happiness, Arius. It was time to stop. You know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about those who missed Christmas. The word Advent, why do we celebrate? Why do we call it Advent here? You know, I, I, I get asked that all the time. And if you're watching this, I don't want to hear it from you, because I'm telling you it now. Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming or arrival. Why we celebrate Advent here? Because we're remembering what it was like to be in the first Advent, waiting a Savior. And that builds in us thanksgiving that should be overflowing, that we have the Savior. We are now in the second Advent, waiting for His return. Throughout the Old Testament, so many were hoping, waiting, pleading for the coming of God's Christ. Two weeks ago, I preached a message about those who missed the very first Christmas. Like I said in the message, the list is very long. It is long even when you consider those who should have known, who should have cared, but just didn't. They were supposedly looking forward to God's Messiah. It's easier to make a list of those who found Christmas rather than those who missed it. That was the first advent. We are now in the second advent. Multiple times in Christ's earthly ministry, he promised to be back. And even at his ascension, two angels who were standing there told those who were looking on that he would return in the same way in which he left. And I sure hope the list of those who are ready for the second advent is not as short as those who are truly ready for the first. At my wedding, we were very surprised at how far some of our guests would travel um, to come see us um, for, for our wedding. In fact, one of my friends, he just finished some work over in Antarctica. 
So we were able to tell people, people came from our wedding all the way from, my, my brother had come in from Hawaii, from Hawaii to Antarctica. Uh, seemed really, really special. So when you look at the list of those who bow Christmas, those who are ready for Christmas, and when I say Christmas, I mean the Christ child, I mean what Christmas actually is. When you look at the list of those who, who are actually there, um, it's a very short list, and I've kind of put it in order of those who had the furthest to travel to come to, to, come to see Jesus, um, the newborn baby or, or toddler in some cases. Um, and, um, Simeon and Anna, they had the shortest to travel because Mary and Joseph brought the infant Jesus to them at the temple to be dedicated to God according to God's word. They were ready and found Christmas thanks to God telling Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Lord's salvation. Much of what we sang today in Come Thou Long Expected Jesus are from the words of Simeon, Israel's consolation. The shepherds. The shepherds were just outside the city tending their flocks. They had a short trip to go into the city to see the Christ child. We have Mary and Joseph. They had the shortest because, well, God was knitting Jesus together in Mary's womb. They also had one of the longest times to travel because the trip from Bethlehem to Nazareth is 80 miles. 80 miles walking with somebody who's pregnant. Oftentimes in this story, when we have paintings of this, we have Mary on a donkey. We don't know if there was a donkey. We just like mercifully put a donkey in there is what we do. Because thinking of a pregnant woman having to walk 80 miles is, is not a great idea. It's not, not, a, not a pleasant thought. So they had quite a far ways to go and quite a short ways to go for the first Christmas. Those who had the longest to travel are the ones we're talking about today. The last people to get to see the Christ child who traveled the furthest went at least ten times the distance of Mary and Joseph. Um, it was the philosophers, the proclaimers, who said, I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more. Just to be the man who walked a thousand miles to fall down at your door. Well, the Magi, or the wise men, they nearly did that. Most likely they came from a country in the former Persian Empire. And if they stuck to trade routes, they had about an 800-mile trip to Jerusalem, which was not their final destination. Today I want to talk about the wise men, the Magi. They were there at the first Christmas. I think on my last slide, if you don't mind going there. That's the um, one. Speaking of which, the oil, the only oil I have today is frankincense. And I don't know if you can read that up there, but there's obviously a miscommunication on what one of the wise men was supposed to bring. The Magi. Who are the Magi? There's a lot, and I mean a lot, of misinformation, speculation, and folklore around the Magi. The fact is that who the Magi are is not as important as to who they were going to see. If it was, the Holy Spirit would have inspired Matthew to write at length on who the Magi were. He didn't, and most of our understanding, unfortunately, comes from greeting cards and from the song, We Three Kings. The scripture actually doesn't even say that there are just three of them. It says that they had three gifts. Most likely, I mean, it was a, it was a group of people, a group of magi who came to see the Jesus, and even greater than three. In church tradition, we even have an explanation of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Maybe you might be interested to know this. In church tradition, we see the gold as gold as a present for a king. 
Frankincense, not Frankenstein, um, was used in uh, especially pagan cultures as a incense to burn as a worship for God. So it would be his divinity. And then um, myrrh being an oil that was used in embalming corpses. It was used for burial. Um, we even have names for the three wise men. Once again, we don't even know there are three wise men, but we went ahead and gave them names anyway. Melchor hailed from Persia, Casper or Jasper from India, and Belshazzar from Arabia. All of this is very nice. Unfortunately, the Bible says none of it. It's as credible as those claymation Christmas specials we all enjoyed growing up. It's very fun, but you know Santa Claus, you know, can't actually fly. Um, so, so who were these wise men? Well, Magi is actually a great name for them because it's very close to their actual name. We find in the Greek, it's Megos. They were a tribe that had a priesthood very similar to the Jews. It was hereditary, meaning it went to father to son. They are mentioned in the book of Daniel. And Daniel himself is promoted as their chief. They kind of get a bum rap because we get the word magic from Magi. You could almost translate their name as magician. While there was a very much of a religious component, pagan religious component to what they did, because in, in those times there was no there was no delineation between science and uh, and religion. They were also known for many other things. They were the ex the apex of learned men of their time. This is why Daniel is appointed as their chief. They would find and anoint kings. They would interpret dreams. When the king had his dream in the book of Daniel, he called the Magi in and they couldn't interpret it. And he was going to you know, wipe them all out for it. Very smart guy because he doesn't tell them his dream. I was like, that's good. That's the one thing like many people who are psychics, you know, don't think about. It's like, oh, who are you? You tell me. You're the one who's psychic. Um, who were they though? They were king fighters. If you were a king, you would want them to anoint you as a king in the ancient world. Why were they there at the first kingdom? Well, once they had a leader who spoke of kingdoms with feet of clay. One would rise, one would fall, and it would go on and on like this, but there would be a kingdom that would last forever. They were there to see and to worship the one who, whose kingdom, he was their king. Their gifts were for that purpose. We can speculate on all the things that they were for, but essentially they all fall into one category. These are gifts for a king. They were extravagant at the time. Interesting about the wise men in, our, in the story. I have read through this, like many of you, probably hundreds of times. And I, I missed this part of it. They lost track of the star. In verse 10, they find the star again. They are actually, so they go 8,000, oh wait, yeah, no, eight, eight, 800, thank you, I was like, I'm getting this wrong. 800 miles and they lose track of the star. That's why they go to Jerusalem, like to stop and ask for directions. How would you like to be the wise man who's supposed to be in charge of navigation? Yeah. And then, like, you know, everybody, you know, you have a long day of traveling. People are complaining, my feet hurt. And, you know, they make camp, and you're the guy who's supposed to do the calculations. You're like, so everyone, this is weird. Um, so I can't find the star? I imagine if I was there, you can't find the star? It's a star. How can't you find the star? He's like, I can't find it. He's like, it was your job. <laughs> you know, and they do the thing. Oh, thank you very much, Michael. 
you know, they do the thing that I think, um, so you remember in the, the dark ages when we didn't all have, like, navigation on our phone? Yeah. And we had to use maps that we, we creased totally wrong so we couldn't see the right road. And, you know, you, you'd be upset at the person who didn't tell you the right exit, and you're like, what am I supposed to do now? And, and I know, like most, probably like most men, I'd rather die than stop for asking directions. <laughs> we'll figure it out. If we stop for directions, there's even more time on our way. They get to the point where they have to be like, well, we've got to stop and ask for directions. That's why they go into Jerusalem, because they're going to ask people whose king this is. And, of course, they should know. You know what's sad is, of course, they did know. They just didn't care. They had lost sight of the, the star. They had to stop and ask for directions. But they did, and they were there at the first Christmas, even though the boy was a toddler by the time they got there. Who finds Christmas? My last sermon was about those who miss Christmas. So the question becomes, who finds Christmas? As we look at those who miss the first Christmas, we look, um, today we are looking at the group who found Christmas. It is the answer, it's the same answer to the question, who finds Jesus? Who finds Jesus? It's also the answer to the question, what is the greatest commandment? Humble people find Christmas. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Look at those who are there at the first Christmas. Mary and Joseph, they are humble people. They are humble people. Joseph, a carpenter, newly married, God chose them to bring his salvation into this world. Look at the shepherd. The station of a shepherd was very, very humble. They were not looked on favorably. God chose them to be at the first Christmas. The magi, they seem opulent because in all the pictures we have, and I love the pictures we have, we have three of them, and you can look at right here, and they're wearing crowns, and they have camels. First of all, if you have an 800-mile trip, you're not wearing a crown the whole way. You're traveling close, people. But anyway, we see them, but they're not. They are... They are humble. They come from a high station. They then spend over a year, maybe up to four to five years, finding this Christ child. And then they stop and they ask for directions in Jerusalem. You know what that means? They recognize that I, I, I don't know enough. I need to ask somebody else. When they lose sight of the star, they ask for religious leaders in Jerusalem then followed their advice. The same religious leaders who are too proud to find and worship he who was born king of the Jews. Jeremiah 29, 13. Who finds Christmas? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Those who find Christmas are those looking for Christmas. Most had no idea that the Messiah would even be born in their lifetime. Why? Because they didn't care. Most people would say they're on this journey to find God, but if they're not looking for Christ, they're looking for nothing. Deuteronomy 6.5 explains who, those who find Christ, those who find the Christ of Christmas. Deuteronomy 6.5 is what Jesus quotes when a lawyer asks him, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And he was trying to trip Jesus up in there, and Jesus answers perfectly. He answers with what the Jews would have done several times a day, at every holy moment, they, he, they would repeat this something called the Shema Yisrael. It was Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. When we look at who is at the first Christmas, we look at the Magi specifically, I broke it down, used them as an illustration for this verse of how they loved God with all of their mind, with all of their soul, with all of their strength, and with all of their spirit. So as we look at the Magi and the story of the Magi, 
I want to look at their love for God in these three different areas. Let's get started. With all of your mind. The greatest commandment is not multiple choice. Sometimes we look at the greatest commandment, and we're like, well, I'm not very intellectual, so it's okay for me just to love God with my emotions. It's not multiple choice. We grow in all of these areas. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you loving Him with your mind? Many translate... Many translations will call them wise men, and this isn't a bad way to describe them. They could also be called magicians, since that is where we get the word, uh, that's where we get the word magician. But the wise man is absolutely better because they are known for basically knowing everything. Math, science, religion, these guys had it on lock. When Christ quotes the verse from Deuteronomy, he includes mind, which is good for us because soul actually includes the mind as well, so he kind of breaks it up a little bit. And that's pretty, that's, that, that's amazing when you consider the word of God divides soul and spirit. And Christ divides soul and spirit when he is quoting from Deuteronomy. How many verses are there about the importance to study to show yourself approved? You see this in the wise men. They loved, they loved a God they did not know. All they had was the writings of Daniel, but they poured over them. They tried to fill in the gaps with what they knew. And when that wasn't good enough, they were humble enough to ask others, are you, a, a good coach will ask this of his players, are you coachable, are you teachable? Why? Because if you are not, you will never be better than what you are now. This is my question as your pastor, are you teachable? If no, then I'm wasting my breath. If you already know everything, you don't need to know anything more. Then I'm not really doing anything. When I'm when I'm doing pastoral counseling with somebody, I feel this out. I want to know if I'm just wasting my time here or if I just need to talk about obedience from this point on. Somebody's life will be in complete chaos. And you try to tell them something, and they already know. They already have an answer for everything. Well, if you knew so much, why is your life in chaos? If, you, if I have nothing to give you, why are you even in my office? If you already know everything, you know, sometimes people think they're teachable when they're not, because being teachable isn't about agreeing. It's not, agreeing isn't the same thing as listening. If when the wise men lost track of the star, they just decided to follow another one and not ask others, they would have not grown in their knowledge and their devotion to the Lord. They would have just been following a star. When it comes to loving God with all of your mind, I think we think of it as a cold exercise, just knowing facts, quoting verses, but it's not. Never confuse knowing, knowing about the Lord with knowing the Lord. Amen. Think about when you first, those of you who are married, when you first met the person you were going to marry. I am betting you wanted to know everything about them. You have all these questions. What's your middle name? What's your favorite color? You go deeper than that. What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What are your passions? I think so many problems in marriages today is that we stop wanting to learn about our spouse. Yes. Are you the same person you were 10 years ago? I hope not. I hope you're growing I hope you're different than what you were, so of course your wife and husband are as well. Knowing God, loving God with all of our mind, it is in that way to understand that He is so much deeper than we could ever hope to attain, but to know Him. You are not the same as you were 10 years ago, like I said before. Why do we expect our spouse to be the same? They loved God with all of their mind. And when they didn't have, when they had gaps, they had humbleness to ask others. Strength. 
Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold the star that they had seen, um, behold the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Um, they worship God with all of their strength. These academics would have se- wouldn't have seemed very strong. In fact, I imagine it would seem like a stiff breeze would blow them down. None of them were warriors. None of them were bodybuilders. However, we have proof that they were resilient. The journey, once again, from Persia to Jerusalem is 800 miles. I would not want to drive that, let alone walk it, let alone in a desert. If they made good time, which would have been about 20 miles a day, it would take them 400 days in the desert to reach where they were going. You know, this is a good illustration of our journey with Christ. It's long. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. No wonder you will see so many people start out good, but they fall away. They think maybe life is like a movie. You only have one obstacle, and once you get past that obstacle, then they live happily ever after. But you find out it's not just the one, it's not the one temptation you have to avoid. It's a life of holiness that God has called us to. And we find out we're completely dependent on him the entire way. And we have nothing in ourselves to brag about. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Many people who fall away, they thought it would just be, you know, they, they just got to lecture to their co-workers, not live for Christ day by day when it hurts, when they had to sacrifice. It's a long journey, but it's worth the trouble. We look at these men who worship God with all of, with all of their strength. They understood that this trip that they were committed to, whether it took a year or ten years, it was worth the trouble. Worship, the word worship means to ascribe worth. I hope after I did that long series on worship, how worship is not singing, it's sacrifice, being a living sacrifice, that in the best or worst times, we always say, worthy is the lamb that was slain, it's worth the trouble and much more. Can you imagine them talking to their wives and their loved ones? So where are you going to be for the next several, several years? Oh, we're going to be making our trip to we're going to be making our trip to Israel, and they're like, "What? Why are you doing that?" They're like, "You know that club we go to every Tuesday." I'm not saying they're saying this, but they're like, "Wait, is this because of Daniel?" Yep, yep, it's because of Daniel. Remember, he used to be our chief. He wrote all these things down, and we want to see this king of a kingdom that will never end. They also loved God with all of their heart. I said before, the greatest commandment is not multiple choice. Don't confuse knowing about the Lord with knowing the Lord. The Pharisees and the Sadducees knew about the Messiah, but they had no interest in knowing the Messiah. These intellectual men, when they find the star in verse 10, verse 10 says, When they saw this, when, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Exceedingly with great joy. They were not content with Christ being something they read about in a scroll from a former leader. They wanted to see him, and 800 miles wasn't too far. Once again, the greatest commandment is not multiple choice. Can you imagine, mile after mile, the disappointment of losing the star, then finding the star once again, you will see this thing that the, that the ages have longed to see. And when you see it, they rejoiced. You might say to me, Pastor, I'm not an emotional person. I love when people tell me that, because that lasts as long as I know you. 
Once I get to know you, I see a passion for things I don't understand. You'll tell me about averages and baseball games, and I'll just be going... <laughs> or about catalytic converters and things like that. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I will see in you a passion, as passionate as I'm about anything else. Well, Pastor, I'm not an emotional person. Oh, you're not? Well, you're emotional for the things that matter to you. So I ask you this. When was the last time you wept at the beauty of the Lord? Does Christ still cause you to rejoice exceedingly with great joy? Have you lost the tenderness you once had with the Lord and are starting to walk through emotions? We talk about people who miss Christmas today. Is those who have just gone through the motions, and this time means no more than any other time, and not in a good way, more or not, and just going through the motions to get through the holidays. Does talking about Christ stir something within you that you felt long dead? That you long to see the shore of the kingdom of the king? In verse 10, what was lost has been found, and I'm not talking about the star. This group, these Gentile idolaters, were sought by God and found by Christ. They had joy, exceeding joy, when they saw the star. They also worshiped God with all of their spirit. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Who finds Christmas? Worshippers find Christmas. When they find the child, they worship him. They don't worship what we sometimes call the Holy Family, because Mary and Joseph aren't deserving of worship. They recognize this isn't a relic, this isn't an intellectual thing, but their spirit has called them to this very point. The Spirit of God has led them to worship Christ. Amen. Worshippers find Christmas. We talk about how Jesus is the reason for the season. We can have all the right-sounding words. But where is your focus right now? If you were to take your attention, your thoughts, if you were to take your thought life into account of your day, make it into a time, make it into a pie chart according to the time you spend thinking about things. Just whatever it might be. How big of a slice does Jesus get right now? How big of a slice? If it was a pie chart of people, what they would do if they won the lottery, yeah. is Jesus getting the keep it portion, or is he getting the donate to charity portion? Hopefully he's getting the keep it portion. Worshippers, they find Christmas. Alistair Begg, when preaching on the three wise, well, not the three wise, but on the magi, he had this great question for them. If he said, if you had to ask him one question, it would be this. You brought great treasures when you saw Jesus. But do you, did you leave with the treasure of heaven? I'm glad that I see evidence that they did because they worshipped him. Why did they worship him? What called them there in their ignorance to worship the king of heaven? John 6, Jesus says, People come to him because the Father draws them. You are here today by no accident. You are here because the Spirit of God has drawn you. Don't miss the Christ. Don't miss the Christ. Find the Christ of Christmas. 
If you are here and you are crushed in spirit, do not despair, do not mourn as the world mourns. But fall back on the Christ. You haven't let him down, you are never holding him up. Amen. If you are watching this online right now, it's not by it's not by chance. If you say to me, Jason, I Pastor Jason, I don't know where I'd go if I died. The Christ of Christmas is here today. Fall upon his mercies. You say, Pastor Jason, I, I, I think I love him, but he's more of like, he's down on the list. If you do not love him above all of these things, today, this morning, is the morning to do that. I just want to read that again. If you're a Christian spirit, do not despair. You are never holding him up. Do not feel like you've let God down. You are never holding him up. He holds you up. You know, be honest here. This week has been a very bad week for people I love. I'm under no illusion that Christmas time is one of the hardest times for so many people, and this year, above all years, has been one of the hardest years, probably for America, period. But the light still dawns in the morning. The sun still rises in the morning. The dawn of the empty tomb illuminates that silent night. For so many people... This might be a hard time, but Jesus knows where you are. He's drawing you to. Worship team, if you could come up at this time. In this accounting of the Magi visiting Jesus, I said before, a very interesting thing is that they lose sight of the star. Metaphorically, have you lost sight of the star? Have you not set your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Have you let the despair of this current season in world history steal from you your joy. Dear believers, nothing really can steal our joy if we give it away. And it's there for you to pick back up. Have you lost sight of the star? The one thing that really does make a difference. I said before in one of my prayers, Jesus is still the reason for the world today. That sentiment has been under attack more than ever even amongst Christians who say people just getting saved will not solve the world's problems. They've obviously haven't read this. If you've read this, then you know that even just 12 disciples turn the world upside down. If you've read this, you know that one person with God is the majority. If you've read this, you know there's a transformative power in God You've just lost sight of the star. Pull over on the side of the road, ask for directions. And what part of the greatest commandment have you strayed? When we talk about loving God with all of our strength, that looks different for all of us. What that means is whatever you find to do, do with all of your heart as unto the Lord. Nobody at your job say that that person's a lazy worker. That's a terrible testimony. It's a terrible testimony as a Christian. If for no other reason people should know that we are Christ, is that everything we do, we do it with excellence. We worship Him with all of our strength. How about with all of your heart, with all of your emotions? How do you let your love for God grow cold? Well, this is just another time just to go through. We're ending service like we always end service. Come back to your first love. Are you loving God with all of your mind? The thing I love about the greatest commandment is it's all-encompassing. If we emphasize one to the exclusion of others, 
we're in major trouble. If all for us is the voice of God is our emotions, well, my God wouldn't say that because I feel this way. That's idolatry, where we are making him in our image. But it's all encompassing, so we love God with our mind as well. We study the scriptures. We meditate upon the scriptures. We think deeply into the scriptures, and we think deeply into about the Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith, to set our eyes on him. If you aren't loving God with your spirits because you don't know him, you, if you're here today sitting with us, you're watching online, I'd like to speak with you. And once again, if you'd say, if I die today, I don't know where I'd be going. I hope heaven. You don't know, you've never had tenderness with God. You're like, well, I don't know if I've loved him with any of these things before. The day is the day of salvation. You are listening to this message for such a time as this. Yes, you too can be there at the nativity in spirit. To be there to know the Christ of Christmas. Come back to the one who says, come back to the one whom the song says, lead us to that perfect light. I kind of bash that song a little bit today, We Three Kings, because it's inaccurate. And it is inaccurate. I still like it. I always love that, that line. I remember when the Lord first saved me, my first Christmas, and I heard that line and it reduced me to tears of We Three Kings, lead us to that perfect light. Lead us to that perfect light in the darkest of times. He is that perfect light. We're going to end this service in worship. I asked the worship team to, to, uh, to do this uh, one song from down here, How Many Kings. I like it because it emphasized Christ. It emphasized God. How many kings would give up their throne? This is the time to see where am I lacking in one of these areas. And now I need to focus on that. I need to come back. I need to allow. This is really what it is. It's not about trying harder. It's about allowing God to perfect something in our life that was formerly lacking. Amen. This is the time to do that. This is the time just to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all of our soul, and all of our strength. I'll be ending the service with a benediction. The worship team will continue playing for as long as there are people at the altar. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be happy to. In fact, uh, the uh, oil I have today is frankincense. So, but you should come up to the altar because you want to know what frankincense smells like. But I'd be happy to pray with you and anoint with oil.